0: It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm not going to put that there. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Could you be mine? Won't you be mine? Oh... It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day na- in the I caught it in the neighborhood. Oh, won't you be my neighbor? Good morning, church family. Um, last time uh, I did this, uh, the Mr. Rogers theme song sang. Uh, we were online, um, but now, now you get to see it in person. So <laughs> it's probably that much better. Uh, but we've began what I, I guess I'm going to call my own little mini series. I guess um, how to be a good neighbor, being a good neighbor, something along that line today. And so I just I want to I want to look at what that looks like as people who who claim to be followers of Jesus, who profess His name. What does that mean? What does that mean to be uh, a good neighbor? So that's where we're heading uh, this morning. In 1970, or if you're alive in 1970, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. And just for those around, this is kind of for you, I guess. But 1970, uh, there were two psychologists. Um, One was named John Darley, and the other was named Daniel Batson, uh, they were professors at Princeton Theological Seminary, um, and they did or they conducted this experiment off of one of jesus 's I think probably one of his most famous parables, which you probably are guessing it right now the good the Good Samaritan. Um, what they wanted to do and I mean by just saying that, let me say that I know that there 's a danger when I say the word "good Samaritan, you probably have already hit that switch. I see it. I actually see it physically right now. Like you've turned off. Like I know this story well. Good story. Lovely story. That's great. Um, But I just want to jump into it with you again and maybe give us fresh fresh ears to hear. Uh, You know the general idea. There's two Jewish clergy. Uh, It's it's a Levite and it's a priest. uh, And they pass by this man that's been beaten on the side of the road. And what Darley and Batson, or Batson, uh, they wanted to study the helpfulness of seminarians as as they were preparing for ministry. So, they set up their experiment uh, outside, and the seminarians were coordinated to pass by this person who was who was slumped in this doorway. And when they passed by this man in this little archway, this doorway, he was instructed to let out this groan, um, as in. He's in physical distress, maybe even possibly needing uh, medical attention. So, as the seminarians passed by the man, all the psychologists did was take note of who would stop, who would render aid, uh, who would ask if this man was okay. Um, or would they pass by the man just like the priest, just like uh, the Levite? That was a basic idea, but uh, the two psychologists added two. Interesting twist to the classic story. First, uh, before they were sent out to pass by this man in the doorway, they were told that they're going to be given this brief, uh, brief talk, which was at a different location, which would have them pass right by that doorway. And the subject of their brief talk it varied. Uh, half of them were told that they were going to read and then share reflections on uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the other half were told that they were gonna talk about a topic that was completely unrelated to helping people um, at all. So that was the first twist. The second was there was this time pressure, all right? As the seminarians were sent to the next location, half of them were told uh, that they have plenty of time to get to their speaking engagement, uh, and the other half were told, you better go, you're already late. Stop looking at me, stop, go. Uh, You need to get out of here. so with that, those two twists, uh, they were sent out to see um, what they would do when they passed by this man who was in need of help. So who would stop? There were three basic hypotheses. Uh, first, uh, maybe everyone would stop. Everyone would see this man, hear his groan, know that he needed help, and go ask if he was okay. That was the first. Um, or maybe help would be prompted um, by what people had on their minds. That was the second. So maybe if you're thinking about the Good Samaritan, uh, you'll be better able to spot similar situations in your own life, which seems to be the basic idea behind, I guess, coming to sermon times or going to Bible class, that we don't just you know, ingest what we hear, but we put it into practice, correct? This means, yeah, This I'm just checking to see where you're at. Um, So if you're taught about the parable of of the Good Samaritan, you'll be more likely to act upon it uh, in your own life. And the third hypothesis was maybe it's all about having time to help. Um, Maybe we're more likely to help when we have time. Maybe the priest, maybe the Levite um, passed by this man beaten in the ditch because they were in a hurry. they did their experiment, and the results they got were very, very clear. Only one variable mattered at all. It was time. The most likely to stop and help were those who had time. One of the reasons that we don't see each other, while we pass by each other on the road, and this is not going to be a news flash to you, is the pace of our lives. We hurt, we wound each other with our hurry. Seeing each other, though, being a good neighbor, requires that we become interruptible. You make it a point to become interruptible because you belong to a kingdom that is unlike any other ever conceived on this planet. See, in our story, the hero actually dies for the villain. The trouble usually comes, the trouble usually arises when we forget who the real villain is or we try to make somebody else into the villain. Maybe people across the sea, Uh, maybe even across the street, people who worship at a different building with a different name on it people who think differently than us, who stand on different sides of a political agenda. Or maybe even people that are standing up and walking out of right now. Just kidding, Corbin, love you. Sorry. But maybe it's even people who are sitting across even our own auditorium. Today we want to talk about what it is to be a good neighbor. So if you would... um, Let's pray together. God, we just invite you always into this time. Uh, Shame on us if we ever jump into this stuff without thinking of you and where you want us to go. Um, God, may your parable do what it needs to in us today. Um, May we hear it with fresh ears, and may it lead us into a way of practicing hospitality, of being a good neighbor, um, of loving people the way that you do, God. In Jesus' name, um, we pray. Amen. All right. If you do have your Bibles with you, I believe this is New International Version, so if you want to go a different direction or if you're okay with reading from the screen, that's fine too. But uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 and give you a little context right before we get into the parable. Uh, We'll start in verse uh, 23 of Luke chapter 10. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, "Uh, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your very, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... Next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I'll repay. And when I come back, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Parables, um, parables in general uh, are not children's stories, nor are they general statements about the obvious. Maybe you've heard the saying, and I'm, I'm really not sure where it came from, but I think it goes something to this effect. Uh, religion is meant to comfort the afflicted and, or afflict the comfortable. Um, so if we hear this parable this morning and we think, Isn't that nice? Isn't isn't that lovely? What a great story. We might be hearing it through Western ears and not first century Eastern Jewish ears. Because to a first century Jew, when they heard a parable, it was meant to do two things. One of two things for sure. It was either meant to provoke or to indict Which brings us to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've read through it already. We've we've spoke about it once or twice. So you're familiar with what's going on. There's a lawyer who comes up to Jesus, and they have this bit of a conversation. And the lawyer says to Jesus, so, who is my neighbor? And at that point, I've always thought that to be quite a snarky kind of question. I'm like, why? You had your answer done. Don't provoke the bear. Why would you do that? And then Jesus goes on. I don't think that anymore. Um, It turns out this is a pretty good question. It's a question that we ask all the time. Who is our neighbor? We need to know who our neighbors are because those are the people who have the same rights as us, the same responsibilities. They vote in the same kind of elections as we do. Canadians, and not like our neighbors across the street, but like the way up north variety with moose and bear, or down south in Mexico, those, those are our neighbors, but um, they don't vote in our elections. They don't have the same rights. They don't have the same responsibilities. So this really is a pretty good legal question. And there again, you remember who's having this conversation uh, with Jesus. It's a lawyer. Jesus isn't concerned uh, with watered-down Human attempt at justice and legality, uh, he is always and will always be concerned about love. And he knows that Jewish law says that you should love your neighbor as yourself, um, but you shall also love the stranger that dwells among you, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. So you love the foreigner, you love the alien, you love the illegal immigrant. And you show hospitality. See, something else that we don't always grasp because of our Western ears is Eastern hospitality. Man, love and hospitality were so close you couldn't tell them apart. Hospitality meant you opened up your cupboards, you opened up your home, whatever it cost you, and you showed even the foreigner incredible, overwhelming hospitality. So then the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? You know, Jesus could have given him this discourse on what constitutes a neighbor, but instead he hurls this parable at him, which means, remember, one of two things, which means the lawyer is about to be indicted. And Jesus explains how this fellow was going down the Jerusalem to Jericho Road, which, by the way, you always go up. To Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're like on the moon. You would still go up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem. But here this fellow is going down the road. He's melee by bandits. He's beaten. He's uh, stripped of his clothing. All his stuff is taken, and he's left half dead in a ditch. And he is wondering, who is going to help me? Along comes uh, this priest down the road. The priest sees him, and the priest walks by on the other side. Shortly thereafter comes the Levite. Uh, he sees this man, and he does the same. He walks by the other side, on the other side of the road. And countless commentators, which I'm now starting to think didn't take into account Judaism or have much knowledge of what Judaism is, explain that the reason that the priest and the Levite walked by this fellow in the ditch is because they're afraid to touch him. They're afraid that if he dies while in their care, that they'll somehow be ritually impure and unable to do what they've been called by God to do. Does this sound vaguely familiar? I kind of think it's nonsense now. There is no law preventing a Levite from coming in touch with a corpse. Luke, here in his gospel, doesn't give them excuse. Jesus doesn't give them excuse and not that any excuse would have mattered. The best explanation that I've heard for why they walked by came from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. King said, I'm not sure what happened, but here's what my imagination tells me. It's possible, Dr. King said, that these two men were afraid. If they stopped by to help then they might be just as vulnerable as this man that's been beaten in the ditch, and they don't want to be the next bandit's victims. But the Samaritan asks a different question. He asks, if I don't stop to help this man, then what's going to happen to him? And then King, Dr. King goes on to say, if I don't stop to help the sanitation workers in Memphis... Who's going who's gonna to help them? Who's going to do anything for them? And we all know what happened to Dr. King because there were still bandits on the road. But the issue is, how do we ask the right questions? What do we do uh, today? Well, we need to ask questions that the first century Jews would ask. Every Jew knew back then that if you had a priest and if you had a Levite, then the third would always be an Israelite because the Jews divided in three groups. Priest descended from Moses, his brother Aaron. Um, the Levites descended from Levi, which was Aaron's ancestor, also one of Jacob's kids. And if you weren't related to Moses or Aaron in any way then, and you were Jewish, then you were an Israelite. You fell into that third calorie. This is sometimes called the rule of three. So if you say two words, man, you're going to know the third. And so what I wanted to do, here we go, uh, is have a little bit of token audience participation. So I'm going to say two words, and you're going to say back the third. Uh, we're going to try it a few times. I don't think uh, that you can get it wrong. Um, and if you do, it's okay. We, we offer grace here a lot. Um, all right, Ready? She is. Uh, All right. Larry, Mo, and Curly. Anybody know who that is? Younger generation, teenagers, do you know what that is? You ever seen the Three Stooges? Okay. All all Jewish, by the way, I think. But anyway. um, All right. Try again. If you got that one, I have no doubt this one, this will be 100%. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Rule of three. You say the first two, and automatically you know the third. All Jews knew back then that if you said Levite, if you said priest, then the third was going to be an Israelite. It wasn't the beginning of some bad joke. It was just they knew what was coming. But instead here, in Jesus' telling, you get a priest, you get a Levite, and you get a Samaritan. To go from priest to Levite to Samaritan is like going from Larry, Moe, to Hitler. It's like going from Jesus, God, to Satan. It is unthinkable. You know, today we think of Samaritans as people who stop by when our cars broke down or our tires flat. Um, Or people, maybe a whole church that goes out and helps during a hot weekend in the summer. We think of Samaritan as like those car service places or or hospitals. But back in antiquity, uh, that's not what Samaritans were. They weren't even the oppressed minority either. They were the enemy. One chapter before uh, Luke tells what's going on, Jesus' parable in Luke 10, Jesus and his entourage, all the apostles, they were going up to Jerusalem. And they're passing through this Samaritan village. And they ask for hospitality. And this village refuses to help Jesus and the disciples. They say, Your, your faces are set towards Jerusalem, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna help you. And and at this point, you have to know if you've You've spent time in John 4, this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. There's this battle going on about where God dwells. Is he on Jerusalem or is he at Mount Gerizim? So there's this fight of who has control of God. So they refuse any hospitality. And then James and John, um, sons of Zebedee, which youth group, what's that mean, sons of Zebedee? Thunder, good job, I'm sure you just said that. Um, the sons of thunder say, hey, Jesus, should we... Call down fire from heaven and destroy this Samaritan village. And Jesus has to say, "Um, dropping a bomb on a village is not the appropriate way to deal with lack of hospitality. There's a different way. So what do we do? What do we do today when we hear this parable and we think automatically of ourselves as the Samaritan? But in antiquity, they actually referred to this parable as the parable of the man who fell among the robbers. We are the person beaten half dead in the ditch. And the face of the person who we think might kill us, is actually the person who might save our lives. Yes, there are bandits on the road. Yes, it's dangerous. But what Jesus is saying is recognize that everyone is a human being. Recognize that the person who saves you might be the person you think is the enemy. You know, we don't really know how the religious expert responded. Much like the seminarians like at Princeton, they could have walked by uh, continued on with the busyness of his life and never did anything about all the groaning people around him. We don't know how he responded, but we know what Jesus expects of us. We really like, and I really like this. Maybe you do too. That that Jesus didn't go on mission trips. Jesus just lived a missional life. It was who he is. It's who he was. What if, what if you didn't have to think about going on family mission trip next spring break? What if you didn't have to think about going to camp contact this summer? What if you didn't have to think about signing up for go weekend? What if anything this church family was doing to reach out, friends speak, anything, you were automatically in? What if the rest of your schedules finally started to bend towards what God was doing with this church family instead of the other way around? What if sports camps or tennis or getaway weekends, what if all that bended to the missional life that this church family is desperately trying to do everything in its power to get you just to give all of you into all of that? Let those who have ears hear today. Because this is because the most powerful things happen. When the church surrenders its desire to convert people or convince them to join, it's when the church gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return, not operating out of any kind of agenda, that we become what Jesus invited us to be as good neighbors. That's when we most vividly put him on display. Jesus commanded us to, to love our neighbors, and our neighbor can be anybody. We were all created in the image of God. We're all sacred. We're all valuable creations of God. Everyone matters. To treat anybody differently based on what they believe or what color they are or Anything is to fail to respect the image of God in everyone. So as Jesus leaves this lawyer with this question of who is my neighbor, I want to leave y'all the same way to, to go and and to do likewise. Because you are not the Samaritan. You are the person in the ditch. Who will save you? And can you acknowledge that everyone has the possibility of doing that? If you can, then this parable has worked on you. If you have any need, uh, would you come as we sing uh, together this morning?